So if you have your Bible, go to 1 Peter chapter 3 is where we're at. If you're just joining us, we're uh, in the middle of our series through 1 Peter called uh, Faithfulness in a Foreign Land. This is just our, um, our way to dive into God's Word together. Uh, and, and we thought that this message uh, to the first readers is a, is a timely message, of course, because it's inspired by the Word. It is the Word of God. It is the Holy Spirit that's inspiring that. But, but in particular, uh, given the kind of cultural narratives and, and position we find ourselves in, First uh, Peter has just been speaking to my soul and hopefully for you as well. And we're in chapter 3 today. Uh, if, you don't have, if you don't know where that is, it's toward, in the New Testament towards the right side of your Bible, uh, chapter 3. We'll, we'll be picking it up in verse 8 this morning. Uh, but before we do that, as you work your way there, I was uh, working through this passage this week and, and realizing uh, just what a, a, this particular passage, what a, a special place it's had in my life and in shaping how I think about engaging with the world and, and just my posture towards the world. This, this passage has been just a, a tremendous encouragement. And that came from uh, when I, 25 years ago, I was a student at CSU. Uh, I was a new believer. Uh, just a few years, I had, I had gotten into uh, reading books from like C.S. Lewis. He became my favorite and, and other books, what we might call apologetics. And just to kind of study is a reasonable defense for the faith. And, and I, w- I went up to CSU and I expected, even as a new believer, I expected uh, just some pushback in that. And, and of course, there, there was that on campus and, and a lot of professors would have kind of side and snide remarks here or others just kind of... Uh, you know, going after Christianity a little bit. But I found myself in one class, it was one of those 101 classes, I don't know if it was psychology or sociology, a big auditorium, hundreds of students. And this professor, it seemed like, not just a side comment, but it seemed like his goal was to usher in his version of a utopia, which meant deconstruct any kind of Christian Western civilization, deconstruct Christianity, uh, just wherever he could, he would just go after uh, the Christian worldview. And, and as a new believer, I'm sitting in class just getting angry because one, uh, I hear the arguments he's making, they're bad arguments. And, and, and I want to be like, no, that's, that's not true. And, and I just felt like, man, what do I do in this moment? And, and so that's when I, I sent an email to my mentor and pastor and, and, and I was like, hey, what, what do I do? How, 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 how do I respond in this moment? I'm a new believer, just a couple years and he responded back. And that email, this was back when, like, email was just out, by the way. Back when the Earth's crust was cooling and email came onto the surface. Um, so it was my first email account, mark.oshman at callostate.eu, edu. And, and I kept that email for years uh, because of just the encouragement it was. It wasn't just a, a quick one or two lines. It was several pages. And, and my mentor, Pastor Keita, went to uh, this passage, First Peter 3, and just from there just gave me a, a tremendous uh, encouragement and wisdom. And, and uh, we're, we're going to see in a moment, Peter's going to tell us, in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. So the first thing he said was like, hey, just know that, that no matter what any professor says, Jesus is on the throne and he's ruling and reigning. And so just, just get settled in that. And then he kind of walked, walked me through the passage a little bit more. But, but here's basically what he said. And uh, he, he basically just said, look, too often in the world, as Christians, we either do one of two things. We either like withdraw from culture and cultural engagement and just kind of get together in our little holy huddles and we tell each other how awesome Christianity is 
and the world is bad, and we don't want to get close to the world because they sin, and, and that might get on us, and so we, we, we kind of pull away. Or, or other times, uh, we, we feel like, man, we got we to gotta engage everything. We got uh, to just go after everything because, you know, the honor of, of Christ is at stake. And he said, you know what, Mark, here's what I, I would encourage you to do. Earn the right to be heard. He said, be the best student. Write good paper. Know the material. Do well on the text. And then pray for an opportunity someday, maybe, to uh, let your light shine. But, but I just thought, man, that's so good. Like, earn the right to be heard. With gentleness and respect, engage the world. And so I, I just kind of uh, worked through that. And that encouragement for me, uh, again, I kept it for years, but back then you couldn't transfer your, your, your emails and all that stuff. I mean, it was really the dark ages. But... Um, uh, what, what Kita did for me is, the, 25 years ago, I hope that in some small way just to, to do for you this morning, to encourage you to say, how, how do we actually engage the world? How, how do we live, uh, as Peter sa- says, as elect exiles, as people that are not of this world, but we're in this world, or we should be in this world, we have been transferred to a different kingdom. We have a different king, and we have a different allegiance. And, and so how do we actually live on this? Because, because God still, even though we are God's kingdom people, he has us here on, on a kingdom mission. And so this, this is what Peter's been getting at so far in his book. But, but right, right now, as, he, as he's been transitioning, he's, he's answering very specifically, how do you do that? How do you live as elect exiles? How, how do you live as people that are not of this world but are in this world? And in fact, in chapter 2, uh, verse 9, he, he started it like this. He says, just reminding us of who we are. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So, so Peter is basically saying, you've been called out of the darkness into light, but here's the deal. Now you take that light back into the darkness. That's, that's, our, that's our whole mission. That's why we exist. We've been called out of the darkness into light, and now we, we are light bearers in the world. And he's, he's starting to get very specific of how we do that, how we relate to our government, how, how we relate to our employers. Last week, how, how we relate as husbands and wives in such a way as elect exiles. And today he's going to get very specific. How do we relate when the world is kind of, there's some animosity there. Uh, not just indifference, but there's some real pushback when there's real uh, kind of tearing down of, of, of what you believe. How are you to react? And it gets very, very specific there. So let me just pray for our time, and then uh, we'll begin to walk our way through this passage. So, Father, let's, uh, we, we come before you now in the name of your Son and the power of your Spirit, uh, asking to do, Holy Spirit, what you desired to do in those first readers and the 5th century and the 15th century and today in Parker, Colorado, I, I pray that you would uh, illumine our hearts and our minds, give us, give us wisdom, but uh, more than that, give us an affection uh, for Jesus and let us live uh, in light of and before him all of our days. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Peter's going to show us three things in our passage this morning, three uh, Three ways, how, how do we engage the world? But first of all, he's going to talk about, we, we are called to reflect Christ. Okay, so we'll get into that. We're 
We're called to reflect Christ. We're called to replace fear. We'll talk about replace it with what in just a moment. So we reflect Christ, we replace fear, and then we're called to ready a response. So reflect Christ, replace fear, and ready a response. The Bible says that if you're a follower of Christ, you are a new creation. In fact, we already read of some of our identity in chapter 2, but let me just go to a couple more. Galatians chapter 2 uh, Paul says this, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer is, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So this is who you are. Like, you, you actually uh, don't, ha- you, you don't live out of who you were anymore. You live out who you are. So Paul puts it another way in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has come, the old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. This is uh, talking about our identity in Christ. So, so as, as the Bible says, that we are to reflect Christ to the world. And the question is, is our picture that we are reflecting the world an accurate picture? But here's the deal. Uh, we are to grow in, in God's uh, communicable attributes. That's, that's just a fancy way of saying in the ways that we can look like God, we should begin to grow more and more like that. Now, there's incommunicable attributes of God, all the omnis. Like, we'll never be omnipresent, omniscient. We'll never do any of the omnis. But, but there are things in the character and nature of God that we are called to reflect in, in a growing way. So we're called to be merciful. We're called to be loving. We're called to be, Peter called us to holiness already. We're called to be just and so on and so forth. These should be an increasing measure growing in our lives, reflecting Christ. But here's the problem. The problem is the Christian life is not just difficult if you've ever tried it. It's impossible, right? It's so impossible that only one person's ever been able to pull it off, and we named it after him, right? So, so if, if we just have the WWJD and we're like, okay, I'm going to be more like Jesus today, you're going to fail, no matter how hard you try, you are going to stumble. And so those, those verses that I just read to you, there's a secret in that. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. I have been crucified with Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. So, so the, the mystery of the Christian life, the way we actually reflect Christ, is to get into that space where Christ is living his life through us. It's, it's what Jesus would call abiding in John chapter 15. How do we come to a place where we are so abiding in Christ, in connected with Christ, that these things are not something we try to do, but they become our nature because they're His nature. That, that's the mystery. That's how uh, this passage is going to try to unlock. So we, we reflect Christ. In fact, he's going to say, uh, in, a, in a dark world, uh, the, the darker it gets, actually, the better we reflect Christ, right? Like, like the darker, you go out into the mountains and, and camping far away from the lights of the city, man, the lights just explode out there. That's, that's good news when the world gets dark around us, because now our light is shining brighter. But he says, let's, let's get very specific of how Christ's light shines in us. And, and that's where we pick it up in verse 8. It says, finally... All of you, he starts with, with the home, the household, not, not just our homes, but the household of God, the family of God. He says a few things. All of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. So, so he says, look, if, if we're going to do this, 
It starts right here with the family of God. And he uses these, this family language. He says, first of all, have, have a unity of mind. This is, uh, this is be centered on the most important thing. So our, the way you voted in November isn't what we gather around and, and have unity around. The way uh, we worship is not what, what our unity is. We say here, we, we are unified around the gospel. We are gospel-centered. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is the thing that we come together, and it, is the most, it must be the most important thing, and there really shouldn't be anything secondary very close to that, if that makes sense. So uh, when we unify around the gospel, we say, man, this is our mission. And so we might disagree. We, might, uh, we, we did vote differently. We might disagree with the problems in our society, but, but, but first and foremost, we say we are unified on the message of Christ who reigns, and we are his family members. And we might argue about that. We might argue about secondary things. But in the end, we have a unity of mind. It is gospel centrality is what we put it here. Then he says, and, and have sympathy. Sympathy is feel what others feel. Man, in the last 12 months, haven't we had plenty of opportunities to try to uh, take ourselves out of our feelings out of our positions and just see the see the world as someone else sees the world how they maybe have experienced the world now we might disagree with their solutions to that but we can what this scripture is calling us to is try to feel try to get into each other's shoes and feel what they feel to be empathetic just to 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 move forward and as we do we reflect christ he he goes on he says uh brotherly love now, this is the word Philadelphos. We get Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. And don't think so much of our modern idea of love as a feeling or emotion. The reason he says brotherly love is he's pointing out we're family. Like in Christ, we're family. We have a connection that goes beyond emotions and feelings. We are committed to one another, right? Like if you love your brother, like your brother could be a knucklehead, but you're still committed to them. He says, have brotherly love, a tender heart. This is the word compassion. So, so it's different than sympathy. Sympathy says, hey, feel what they feel. Re- rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Uh, get in each other's lives so that you are feeling what other people are feeling. But, but this is a tender heart. This is compassion. We, we saw this often in our Matthew series. It says Jesus had compassion on the crowd. Jesus had compassion on the the sick. Jesus had compassion on the demon-possessed. And every time in the Gospels when Jesus had compassion, that always led to loving action. So so if we're going to reflect Christ, there has to be more than just like, man, I feel compassion. No, it leads to actually intangible ways loving one another. So we ask the question, how are we doing at that? How are you doing a loving, intangible ways the people in this room, the people in your row and, and otherwise. Because this is what it looks like. And he says, finally, and have a humble mind. All the other virtues that were listed so far were actually uh, good virtues. Like the rest of the Roman society would say, that's good. But this one was not a virtue. It was seen as a weakness. It was seen as a vice. It was like, who would be humble except for those that have to be humble? Only the, those with no social power, no, no clout, could, would be humble. And, and this is the, the, the amazing thing about Christianity. It turned this upside down. In our world, for the most part today, we, we think humility is a good value. It wasn't a good value back then. 
But, but when we look at this, we're like, how is this a good value? Because Jesus was humble. He was the one that, uh, in, in their system, had no, no place to be humble, but he left heaven in glory. He took on flesh, Paul says, and he humbled himself, became a man, went to death on the cross, and died for us. Jesus is our model and example, and so when we do this, we reflect Christ, and it starts in the home, but it doesn't, it doesn't stay here. We're all going to leave here today and go into the negative two degrees and, and go into the world this week, and so he says, when you go public, here's what that looks like. Verse 9, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Man, this, this is what I'm saying. You can't just try to do this. WWJD is not going to work in this moment. Like there's nothing in us, there's nothing in me that when I'm insulted, when I'm cursed, that automatically just has this kind of flinch, man, I just want to bless you, right? Like in my flesh, I'm like, okay, how do I get back? Or, oh, they said that about me, let me tell you something about them. Like that's just natural, that's the flesh, that's, that's how we respond normally. But he says, no, do it like Jesus. I mean, again, Jesus is our model example. When he looked down at all of us and we all cursed him and we all turned our back on him, he didn't curse us back. He blessed us. He blessed us so much that it cost him his own life. And, and, and so he says, so reflect Christ in the world. Again, you can't just do this, though. And by the way, we, we all have opportunity almost every day for this, Right? Like someone is going to say something or do something, whether it's in your family, uh, at work, uh, at, at the grocery store, someone's going to do something. And in that moment, your, your flesh is going to rise up and you'll be like, no, I demand my rights. I demand that you respect me. I demand all this. But in that moment, maybe the spirit will have, have enough of voice in your life to say, no, we're going we're gonna to bless and not curse. But he also said there's, there's something in it for you. Notice what he said. He says... Uh, you, but on the contrary, bless, for this is what you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. You see what he said? Like, listen, we, we bless because we are blessed, so we bless some more because we get blessed. Did you follow the math on that? Okay, you've, you've been blessed. You, you weren't cursed. You, you deserved curse, but Jesus took that curse on the cross for you, and so you got blessed so that you can be a blessing in the world. And by the way, as you get, are a blessing in the world, you receive blessing. That's, that's what he said. And then he quotes Psalm 33, whoever desires to love and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. We, we return a blessing for a curse. And all, of Peter's, all that Peter is doing in this whole passage should sound familiar if you read the gospel. He's just echoing what he learned from following Jesus for three years. Uh, in Luke chapter 6, he says this, but I tell you, Jesus says, but I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. There's nothing natural about that. There's nothing in your flesh that wants to do that. That has to come from the Spirit of God. That has to come from a, an abiding in Christ. I, I heard the story of, uh, of just the, the powerful transformation that can happen when you do this. 
there, there was a soldier that was a Christian soldier, uh, and he, uh, he was in his barracks, and each night he'd say his prayers, and he'd open his Bible, and he'd study his Bible. And, and most of the soldiers just didn't, didn't care. Uh, some were, would, would make little jokes. But one was really, uh, would really go after him and, and insult him and, and make fun of him and say stuff like, oh, man, that, you just need that because you're weak and uh, Christianity is for the weak, and, and he'd be like, yeah, it is for the weak, and I do need that. And they're like, see, we told you. And, and so one night he's uh, reading his Bible, and he gets hit in the head with, with a muddy boot. It, it's the guy that is taunting him again as, he, as he's going to bed. And, and they woke up the next morning, and the boots were cleaned and shined and put at the guy's foot of his bed. That's returning a, a, a blessing for a curse. And what happened over the, the next several months is several of the other soldiers actually came to faith in Christ. There, there is a, there's a powerful witness when, when you don't just do what everyone would do, but you return a blessing or a curse. And that's what Jesus has done for us, and that's what Jesus has called to us, has called us to do, to reflect him. But, but, but notice the very last, there's kind of also a warning. It says, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So every opportunity we have when there, there's kind of a, a crossroads in the road to either bless or curse, you're either inviting more blessing of God in your life or you're inviting the opposition of God in your life. You're either becoming more like a citizen of heaven or a citizen of hell. Like, like the stakes are kind of high here because you don't want to have God in opposition. So how do we do this? This is what it means to reflect Christ. Then he calls us to um, not just reflect Christ, but replace fear. We'll get into that. Verse 13. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Again, Peter's echoing Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 10. Blessed are, the, those who, uh, blessed are those who are persecuted, for they will receive the kingdom of heaven. He says, then have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts Honor Christ as Lord. And again, Jesus, again, he's, he's echoing Jesus. Jesus would say at times like, hey, don't worry about the people that can just kill your body. I'm like, no, that, that seems like a pretty good, pretty good thing to worry about. It's like, don't worry about that. That's nothing. Worry about, rather fear him who can destroy both your body and your soul in hell. And you're like, okay, Jesus, you just took that up a notch, right? It says replace Fear. What's he doing? He says, in your heart, honor Christ as the Lord, as holy. He's actually quoting Isaiah chapter 8, and he's putting Jesus in that. Isaiah chapter 8. So let me just read that here for you real quick. So let me just set the scene. In Isaiah chapter 8, the, the Assyrians are about to destroy God's people. They're about to roll in with their armies, rape and pillage and destroy and just wipe out everything. There, there, are, there is good reason to fear. And so God speaks through Isaiah, and listen to what, what he says in verse 11. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people, saying, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. Man, that's a word for today, right? Um, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Remember what Peter just said? But in your hearts, set apart Christ as holy. The Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread and he will become 
a sanctuary. So, so what do we replace fear with? A bigger fear. <laughs> that sounds kind of weird. But, but, but that's ultimately our problem. We have this fear of man. We're, we're afraid what people will think of, about us. We're afraid of what they'll say. We're afraid, uh, even to some extremes, what they'll do to us. They, they could put us to death. But, but he's saying, hey, there should be a bigger fear that, that out, out, outshines all that fear. And Isaiah gets it, right? Because just two chapters earlier, Isaiah, in the year King Uzziah died in, in chapter 6, he goes into the temple and what does it say? I saw the Lord lifted high, high and lifted up in the throne, and the angels were singing, holy, holy, holy. And what does he do in that moment? All of his fears, earthly fears, get replaced with the ultimate fear, the fear of God. He gets on his face. He starts sucking dirty. He says, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. I'm undone. I'm finished. I, I, I can't even be in your presence. And in that moment, God gives grace and he sends an angel and takes a coal and burns his lips on the altar and he lifts his head. So Isaiah would live the rest of his life with, with this vision of God, the one who is to be feared, the one who is to be worshipped, the one who is to have all honor, worthy, and respect. When you have that in your mind, it doesn't matter whether or not people think you're cool. It doesn't matter whether or not uh, the, the world would turn against you. Man, We have the God who is on a throne. And Peter had this problem too, right? There was a time in his life where a slave girl called him out as being a follower of Jesus and he cursed her out and he says, I don't know the man. And he looks over and he sees Jesus and the crow cocks and he goes away in shame, but he gets restored. He sees the resurrected Jesus. He gets a new fear, a greater fear of, of the Lord who can conquer death in the grave and he is absolutely transformed. So that in Acts chapter 4, when, when he's brought before the same people that put Jesus to death, and they, they're like, what is up with these people? And they said, Acts chapter 4 says they could see that they were untrained, ordinary men, but they had been with Jesus. So he says, replace your fear. If you're going to live as a light in this world, you can't be afraid of people. You can't be afraid of what people might think of you. You should be afraid of what God thinks of you should be afraid of the one who will judge you forever. The, this life is this long, and so we replace our fear with the fear and awe and worship of God. He says, then we ready a response at that point. Uh, actually, I was thinking of this book I, I read this week uh, in, in light of this. Um, it's a great book, Evangelism as Exiles, Life on Mission as Strangers in Our Own Land. Uh, it's actually kind of works through First Peter, but... Uh, Elliot Clark was uh, a missionary in a Muslim background country and uh, with his family and his 11-year-old son. He said one day uh, they were out in, in, and they were looking out their window and they saw their son and uh, his wife screamed in horror. And so he came running up and he looked out and, and he saw the 11-year-old son was surrounded by what was called the rough uncles, these kind of teenage hoodlums that, that would go around beating up people and stealing from them and all this. And uh, he's a couple hundred yards away, so they can't do anything. So they're just watching in ter terror as their 11-year-old son is being surrounded by these guys. And then uh, the leader picks up a, a large stone about the size of a football, and, and he raises it up to smash it down on the 11-year-old's head. And they're just terrified. Just why They can't do anything. Can you imagine that feeling as a parent? And 
And all of a sudden, the, the, the rough uncles put down the rock and they walk away and the little kid comes running back in, kind of shaken, and uh, I'll just pick up the story from there. They asked the kid what's going on. He, said, he told us the rough uncles had come upon him without warning. The group knew he was a foreigner and thus presumed he was a Christian. They asked if he believed Jesus is God's son who died on the cross. When our son answered in the affirmative, the boys were incensed and threatened him with stoning. My wife, who by this time was almost beside herself, then asked, so what did you do? To which he responded, I told them I wasn't afraid of them. I told them they could kill me, but that didn't matter because I would just end up in heaven. He had a he got this. 11-year-old could get this. This isn't a matter of maturity. This is a matter of who do you see as, as more threatening? Who, who do you see as worthy of, of your fear? Man, I, I think so much of my, my ineptitude in evangelism and just being a light is because, man, I, I just want to be cool. And it's foolish. It's foolish. Because God is on his throne. And he's, more than that, he's left his throne and he sent Jesus to do this. And so he says, uh, fix your eyes on, on that. Replace your fear of man with a fear of God. Make man small and God big and you, you can live like this. And as you do it, this is in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord is holy. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and respect. See, Peter assumes something. Peter assumes that as you reflect Christ and as you replace your fear with a, a bigger fear that is God, that, that your life is going to be so peculiar that, that even those that oppose you at times are going to be like, what is up with you, man? What's up? Why do you live like that? Why do you talk like that? Why do you spend your money like that? Peter assumes that this is just going to happen, probably because it happened to him all the time. So the question is, has anyone ever asked you, like, how come your life is so odd? <laughs> how come you're so weird? And, and, and here's what we did, like, maybe, maybe they don't ask us because we, we actually look just like them. We value the same things. We spend our money the same way. We, we pursue the same goals as they do. And so th there's no provoking going on. And we're like, okay, so uh, Pastor Mark said I got to be weird. And, and that's not what I mean. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Like, you go, to your, you go out to lunch with a friend and they get up to go use the bathroom and you re rearrange their fries to spell out the name Jesus on it and you're like, hey, there you go. That's evangelism. No. Like, he says, you're going to be weird if you look like Jesus. We're like, well, that's too hard. Let's just be weird because we're Christian. No, don't do that. <laughs> he says, listen, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have. Now, this is uh, apologist, uh, philosopher's Christian philosopher's favorite verse. And I, I commend that. I, I put a, something online. You can go to a free course right now through uh, Denver Seminary. My, my uh, philosophy professor, apologetics professor, you can do that. But that's not what this verse is talking about. This verse is not talking about, hey, study all the arguments for the resurrection of Jesus. Though there are good arguments, that's not what Peter says. This verse isn't saying, hey, if you Christians would all become uh, really academic, then you could win the world. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, you and me, just ordinary people, be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have. And how do you do that? Well, I'll tell you what, what you love, you're prepared to give a reason for. 
Talk to anyone that is a fanatic about a sports team and ask them why. They'll talk to you for two hours about why that team is awesome. I'll do it. <laughs> talk to anyone that's into uh, any other hobby or, or, or just in love with a, a girlfriend or a boyfriend. They'll talk to you. So, so what Peter is actually saying is stir your affections for Jesus. Remind yourself of what's ultimately true. Remind yourself of who you were and now who you are. And then as you're talking, do it with gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect. Uh, I read another story of a, a Christian missionary doctor in a Muslim country where um, this woman was coming in to get surgery that day and I, I think to get a tumor removed. And so um, she came in and met with the doctor and, and he says, uh, we're going we're gonna to take care of this. We're going to get you cleaned out. And she said to him, man, I wish someone could clean my heart as well. And in that moment, he wasn't like, well, you know what the problem with Islam is, you've got this view and, and you're wrong with it. That's not what he did. He said, you know what? I've felt that too. And, and I know someone who can give you a clean heart. He began to explain with gentleness and respect. He was ready to give a reason for the hope that he had. So, so, so what do we do with this? What do we do with all this? Well, I think this passage and the rest of 1 Peter, and it has been already, he's saying, hey, walk the walk and talk the talk. I think so often we have a kind of false humility. Well, I can't do it because my life isn't lined up and I, I got these things going on. Look, none of us are perfect. That's true. But, but sometimes we're just like, man, I, I, can't, I can't be a witness. I can't talk to people about Jesus because my, my, I've got these other sins in my life. Well, the Bible gives you a plan for that. Repent. Stop it. Start walking the walk and talking the talk. Like, that's what you're called to do. I'm like, well, okay. Jesus will give you the resources to do that. He delights to live his life through you. So he told us to walk the walk and talk the talk. Again, just ask that question. Are we being asked for the reason for the hope that we have? And if not, why not? What needs to change? What needs to change in the way that we live? What needs to change in our sacrificial living or our giving or our serving of our neighbors and the nations? Or what needs to change so that our lives will be a witness? You know, I think one of the greatest evangelistic ministries at Redemption Parker right now is our foster care and adoption ministry. You want to do something that asks people like, hey, what is up with that? What are you doing? you'll have a reason to give for the hope that you have. Uh, Christopher Hitchens was one of the most famous atheists, and uh, at the end of his life, he, uh, he would tour with this guy named Larry Taunton, and they, Larry wrote a book about it. And they would tour college campuses, and they would um, uh, get in, do these debates together. They were actually very good friends. Um, and uh, Christopher was just militantly against it. Like, he was called one of the four horsemen of the atheist apocalypse. So I think Sam Harris, I don't know all of them, but um, so, so he just, but, but the last six months he got cancer and he was dying of cancer and they were still tour touring. Larry said that of all the apologetic arguments, none of them really ever phased Christopher. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't into any of those. But there was something that really caused Christopher to ask a lot of questions. Larry and his family adopted a special needs girl from Russia. And he would just always be like, why? Why would you do that? Like, what? And, and just, they began to read the Bible together. And he, he, he would show them, well, I do this because this is what Jesus would do for me. Now, there's no evidence that Christopher eventually came to faith before 
he died. But, but it wasn't the argument for Christ that was beginning to woo Christopher. It was the life that demanded a question. And so I just want to encourage us. Like, what, what, what's going on in our lives that demand questions? I don't know what that is for you. But we're called to reflect Christ, replace fear, and then ready in answer. We are a peculiar people. I actually, I've actually mentioned that a couple times. Uh, at, at the end of chapter 2, or in chapter 2, where I've read this place where it says, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. In the old King James Version, where it says a people for his own possession, it says, you are a peculiar people. I love that. Let's, let's not run from that. Let's be weird in the right way. Let's be peculiar in the right way together. And as we do, our light will shine. As we do, the, the mission will go forward. And so with that, let me just pray for us and ask God to do his work in us through that. Father, we thank you for your word to us today. Lord, it's a hard word, and if it was on ourselves to do it, we could not. But I thank you for the gospel of grace, that you live your life in us and through us. And so, Lord, teach us what it means to surrender. Lord, all of us this week will have opportunity to return a blessing for a curse. Uh, and Lord, when we do that, help us to lean on you. And when we do that, help us not to be self, self-righteous and prideful in that. God, we need you. Every hour, we need you. So live your life in us. Let us have you fixed in our minds and our hearts as you on the throne, ruling and reigning forever, and then let us live in this world with gentleness and respect, shining our light. In Jesus' name, amen.